Hey fellow brain pickers, how would you like to get featured as a guest on multiple podcast shows like this one and get massive exposure? My company, getfeatured.com, will get you featured on targeted shows, will design you a custom bio page, pitch you to the host, prepare you for the shows, and promote you so you get even more brand exposure. Head over to getfeatured.com to get major publicity for your brand. Welcome to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast, where successful entrepreneurs get their brains picked so you can apply mindset tricks and game-changing tactics that will help you become unstoppable. Now, here's your host, Daniel Geffen. Hey, fellow brain pickers, and welcome to episode 87 of Can I Pick Your Brain My guest today escaped from five psychiatric wards and was chased down by helicopters and dogs. Yeah, I tend to attract interesting guests, I know. Gordy Bufton went from being a heavy drug abuser, spending time in jail and being admitted to a psych ward where he was told he would never live a normal life again, to becoming a best-selling author, professional speaker and life transformational coach. Now, I tried to capture his journey in a short rap. So here goes. Spent his 20th birthday in a cell. This guy's gone through hell. Took crack cocaine to heal the pain. His brain went insane. But now he plays a new game and things will never be the same. Hit with a brick to the back of the head. He thought he was dead. Enough with the drugs and the thugs. Ended up in a psych ward. Now that's kind of awkward. Doctor said he would never live a normal life. He cut that lie with a knife. And now he's on fire. He lives to inspire. Help you increase your inner peace and get what you desire. So when the rough gets rough, you've had just about enough. And the tougher one to toughen. That's when you call my man, the one and only Gordy Bufton. Gordy, welcome to the show, and thanks for letting me pick your brain. Thanks so much, Daniel. Definitely the best intro I've ever had. Woohoo! Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna bottle that up and just use that when I'm speaking around the globe now. <laughs> I'll send you I'll send you it with the background music if you want. You could choose it. All right, that's that's awesome. I'm taking you up on that, and I think that's that's part of the the issue that I see with so many speakers, like. We needed their bio with, oh, they went to this school, they took this class, and it's so boring. Yep, yep, I hate boring. I hate boring. But you, my friend, have... So this is far from boring. You have a crazy story. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning, work our way into the psych ward, because I've actually never been into one, so I'd love to go in one with you. Um, And then how you came out on top and now inspiring people to transform their lives. Sounds like a plan? Sounds good. All right, let's do it. So take us back. Um, I guess, what was it like growing up? Let's start with that. Sure. So I grew up in a very loving family, Daniel. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad was an executive at a bank in the States. And I was a straight-A student. I was an amazing golfer. At the age of 13, I was the second-best golfer in the state of Georgia. You know, and up until 17, I was pretty much a perfect kid, had, you know, grew up in a really good family in Atlanta. And at that point, the world was my oyster. Hmm. Okay. So what happened? So what the hell happened? (laughs) (laughs) So at 17, I experienced my first breakup, broke up with my first love you know the one that you think is is going to be the end all be all in (laughs) high school okay we've all had that one Mm -hmm. and didn't really know how to deal with those emotions that pain that heartbreak and started smoking pot 
and that for me was was my escape Mm -hmm. it allowed me to forget about the pain forget about the experience of what was going on in my life and just you know ultimately kind of run and hide from the world uh at 17 i didn't quite view it as that now a couple years later i can look at it that way Mm -hmm. and so that was kind of the first choice of many that would lead me down a a very (laughs) tumultuous path yeah and i ended up getting still a golf and academic scholarship to a university in colorado and at that university in colorado i was i was still smoking every day i was selling drugs i was going to class and going to golf practice but i wasn't taking it that serious golf season ends it's a friday night my best friend's over at my apartment. He goes, hey, Gordy, have you ever heard of a drug called ecstasy? Oh I said, God. yeah, I've heard of it. I've never tried it. He's like, do you want to try it? And so I was selling drugs at the time. And my friend's like, well, you can get one pill for $20 or you can get 10 pills for 15 So wow. being the entrepreneur that I was at a young age, I was like, well, let's get 10 of them. <laughs> and proceeded to spend the next three days not sleeping locked in my apartment just snorting ecstasy what is it like taking ecstasy what what does that feel like i've never done it before so i kind of want to just good so uh, i like to explain most people have smoked pot and mm-hmm. I would say the most stoned you've ever felt, I've felt it a couple times where you could feel your body molecules colliding. Like Whoa. you're that sensitive. I would say ecstasy is like that feeling times 10. Whoa. So you can really, like, you just feel your millions of, well, I guess it's billions of molecules just colliding. Mm-hmm. And every sensation is just heightened times 10. Holy crap. I want to stop you for a second there, Gordy. When you're describing that feeling, because it sounds insanely incredible, are you in a slight bit tempted to go back there? That's a really good question, Daniel. I think now, no, just because I know how going into psych wards and and, and I know the ramifications of mm-hmm. everything that I that I've built for the last eight years could basically be wiped clean yeah uh, so from that aspect no but from you know and and i know some of the circles that we we run in a a lot of psychedelics are are very prevalent you know burning mm-hmm. man and some of those experiences and and ayahuasca and some of these other plant medicines yep. and it's somewhat tempting at the stage I am now, I think I can get there or you can get to that state of mind without these substances. Really? You know, I was I was recently doing a breathwork uh, workshop, Wim Hof training, a couple of weeks ago. And honestly, where I got with 20 minutes of breathwork was more intense than most ecstasy highs. Okay, stop. That That's, in, that's incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. Because I, I never thought that there was any way to get that high like to i mean yeah you know like sometimes when you're when you're playing a game of or sport and then you're losing like i was playing uh soccer for those of you americans out there it's the, it's no, you the, can say football yeah I get it. football right so we were we were actually losing by five goals uh we had 10 minutes left to the game and then i basically said to myself there is absolutely no way we're losing this game. I don't care if all of my teammates have given up hope. I'm going to get that ball and I'm going to get that ball in the back of the net and we're going to win. And I scored six goals straight and we won. 
<laughs> and let me tell you, Gordy, that was like ecstasy, right? That was like freaking no one can stop me. Like I felt amazing. But to sustain that, that's what's difficult. Like you went to this Wim Hof. And by the way, for those listening, Wim Hof is known as the frozen man, right? He, uh, he's a great... Iceman, sorry, Iceman. He's like, he teaches, what does he do? He teaches you how to... So he teaches breathwork. I actually, I went to a guy here in Arizona who was the first Wim Hof trained leader, yep. facilitator in North America. Okay. So obviously he, he's done all his training with Wim Hof. Uh, it was a little bit different, a little bit more intimate. Wim Hof has kind of exploded over the last couple of years. So there's a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, it was a very small setting and, and literally people are, are crying in this 20 minutes. It's a three hour workshop, but you know, for, for me, like some of the, the feeling, cause you, you focus so much on your breath and you ended up, you end up flipping your CO2. Mm-hmm. And so you normally don't get a lot of CO2 or I don't, I don't know exactly how it works. <laughs> I think you, you have way less. So it's basically 2080 and you flip it to right. 80% oxygen and 20% CO2. Okay. And it just gives you this massive high and rush that most people have to take drugs and substances to get there. Incredible. And I want to I wanna go through your story and, and just kind of, I want to get to a point where we talk about how do you sustain that feeling? Because as a drug abuser, I mean, you're basically chasing highs. That's what you're doing, right? You're living to chase the next high. And the question is, is how do you stay high? Like, how do people, and a lot of people listening to this may say, oh, but I'm not a drug abuser. Like, I don't do drugs. So why is this, what what has this got to do with me? Well, it has everything to do with you because we all, as humans, we chase those highs, right? Doing a million dollar deal is a freaking huge high, right? Or, or even doing a thousand dollar deal for a lot of people, that, that's like a, a huge high. Or racing a fast car is a huge high. You know, getting getting 50 likes on your little Facebook post is, is <laughs> a nice, right? It's yeah. like, you know, we're freaking addicted to people liking what we do, right? And so what I'd love to like delve deep into in this conversation, Gordy, is how do you stay high? Like, how do you maintain that? But before we get there, I kind of want to go through your story because it's just too good to miss. So what happened sure. next after your ecstasy? So I'm, I'm now using ecstasy three, four, five days a week. I am putting myself in situations where people are carrying machine guns to buy these drugs. It escalated very, very Holy quickly. Holy cow. Um, what? Uh, yeah, I was, I, was, I was showing up uh, drug deals and people were jumping out of cars with machine guns. And oh, my God. Yeah, there's some some interesting gangsters in Colorado <laughs> and uh, you know but but it, it's like a progr- it goes back to making those small choices right like I made one choice that I'm gonna buy 10 pills and next thing I'm buying 80 90 pills and, and my drug dealers taking me with him to buy from his supplier oh, in, in Denver and you know his supply like it was it was always so trippy right like mm-hmm. we, we drive up to Colorado Springs and we we don't know where we're meeting him and then we'd at the agreed upon time we'd get the the location and it was always like at some oriental restaurant <laughs> yeah meet in this parking lot and they yeah. like jump in your car and i'm like uh, hello <laughs> well it's <laughs> please is it, don't shoot me hold on gordy is it like the movie so you literally go into the kitchen and and in the back of the kitchen there's a secret room is it 
it's literally like that i mean that's that's crazy so so it's 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 not quite like that you do it in your car but if anything goes wrong they can run into the restaurant and Ah, basically hide got it and and that's and that's why they're done the way they they were so i would assume they they always know the owner of the of the place and yeah it was I mean, I was 18 years old. I didn't know anybody. <laughs> <laughs> in the hindsight, I'm like, God, what was I thinking? Did but, your parents yeah, and, know? And it did goes your, back to what? Did your parents know what was going on? Because you said you grew up in a very loving, you know, family and supportive. So they 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 had no idea, right? You were doing all this under yeah, the radar. Yeah, they just thought I was smoking pot. Okay, right. So I ended up for two months not going to class, and that's usually not very good for your for your grades. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so my best friend, after two months, we kind of had a blowout, and he ratted me out to my parents. So I'm sitting in my apartment, high on ecstasy, and my mother walks in the door. Ooh, man, that's not good. That's that not was good. an interesting experience. And, <laughs> you know, kind of used my quick mouth and said, oh, yeah, I can pass my classes, da-da-da, like smooth everything over for three days. Uh-huh. And she leaves, and... And I'm committed to, to going back to school, and that doesn't last very long. And so I ended up withdrawing from college on the Monday. Friday was the last possible day to withdraw, so it looked like I, I never went to college because I would have had an F in every single class because yeah. of the attendance policy. Mm-hmm. So I moved back in with my parents. I'm living in their multi-million dollar mansion in Florida. At that moment, I made the decision, okay, I'm going to stop using XC because this obviously destroyed my life mm-hmm. and but i'm gonna keep smoking pot it's it pot isn't isn't the problem here mm-hmm. and my recovery my dad had just purchased uh we'll say a two million dollar house that we were renovating so every single morning at seven o'clock we'd, we'd go to the house and and renovate this house till seven eight nine at night and that was my recovery just really attached to my dad and the mm. biggest thing was i was a straight a student really smart and my brain was blank, Daniel. I couldn't think. I couldn't process. Mm-hmm. I had basically fried my brain from all the ecstasy. Oh, crap. And so I've always been a happy kid and just put on this facade and smiled and like would be like, hey, how are you doing? And, and that was kind of like the – like my brain literally just wasn't working. Mm-hmm. Couldn't, couldn't think, couldn't, couldn't process. And just basically did what my dad told me in terms of helping him with this house. Yeah. So we get we get done that, and during that process, I was still smoking pot at night. My dad would fall asleep on the couch, and you know, I'd met people we played on a softball team, and you know, a drug addict is a very resourceful for yeah. a person. <laughs> um, so I would smoke pot at night, and that was my escape. Right? I was 18 years old. I was living at home. I was a college dropout, and had was from society and from my own perspective was a failure. Right. And at that moment, didn't really know how I was going to put my life together, how I was going to dig myself out of out of this hole. And at that at that time, I thought I would do it with real estate. I thought I'd make a lot of money in real estate. This was 2007, hmm. uh, spring of 2007. And so we bring this house to market at $3 million right as the market is starting to plummet. Oh, man. <laughs> and so I spent the next couple of years living with my parents and all the money dried up and they were coming to me to pay the electric on this two and a half million dollar house whoa 
And so that was one of my first crash courses in entrepreneurship (laughs) and, and just seeing how quickly people can go from on top of the world to a hundred feet under, not that I hadn't done that um, before with, with my addiction and substance Mm -hmm. abuse. And so, you know, was, was still selling drugs to kind of fund my lifestyle and was getting in a little bit deeper in Florida. I was, was moving a lot of pot and, hanging out with people that and and this is something now that i that i love to teach and i'm sure you're a big fan of as well dan you're the average of your five closest friends yeah and these people that i was surrounding myself i was the only one that hadn't been arrested <laughs> yet <laughs> yeah exactly every <laughs> single one of my and i'm like oh no i'm smarter than them oh, it's not gonna happen to me mm-hmm. and so I, I started to hang out with these kids and my drug dealer would be like, oh, I, I'll sell you an ounce of pot and you can also get some cocaine. Do you want some cocaine? Oh, crap. I'm like, oh. sure, I'll, I'll, I'll sell that. And uh, <laughs> then I started to, to use cocaine and I'm a very like high-strung guy to begin with and cocaine just like takes that over the edge. So I never mm. really liked cocaine, but that doesn't mean you can't become addicted to it. And you know, my life quickly started to spiral out of control again. My parents kicked me out of the house at 19 years old. With They had found, like, an ounce of pot on me, calling the police, and I jumped out the window, and my dad's oh my. chasing me down the street. Goodness, man. And I, I'll, I'll never forget, so I run, I jump over this fence in this multi-million dollar mansion, and I'm <laughs> just sitting there kind of catching my breath, and I turn around, and my dad's at the other side of the fence, and we have this moment where... Mm. He's just looking at me, and he just there's there's nothing there. I'm just a shell of a human. I'm I'm not his son. I'm oh, not man. the person that that he's known and loved. And I just turn and and I keep running, and wow. I end up I end up the plan was to run back into the old neighborhood. And next thing I see this car, and sure enough, it's one of my friends doing cocaine. <laughs> So I, I jump in the back seat and I'm like, get me out of this neighborhood. And of course, I don't want to deal with life. So I get some cocaine and and then a couple days later, I'm driving my best friend's truck. I get mm-hmm. pulled over. Oh, boy. Now, remember when I left, left my house, I thought there was a warrant out for my arrest because my parents were calling the cops. So I can't right. hand the cop my ID. So I hand him a fake ID, a real ID. It's just not mine. Oh, and you know what police officers do for a living they determine whether you're lying or not (laughs) and uh so i ended up getting arrested and they charged me for false information to a leo and false impersonation and i get locked in a cell (laughs) and i'm trying to bail myself out i have some money but i can't have my parents know and at this point i'm 19 years old and you know I'm in there for a couple of days, and one of those days happens to be my 20th birthday, which I got to have a Butterfinger and a honey bun, <laughs> self-made <laughs> wrap treat, and a candy bar. And what did you think, the, by the, the way? You, uh, you, it's your 20th birthday. You're sitting in a jail cell. Your life is a mess. You've let your dad down. Who, I mean, you know, you had a good relationship with him until then. Sure. Your mother. You've basically killed your mother inside. What are you thinking? I'm thinking kind of like this really isn't that bad. <laughs> which is 
which is really okay. pathetic. And the kicker is, like, so we're in commissary, so I didn't actually have to sit in a cell. There would be, like, 100 bunk beds in a room. Mm-hmm. And I know people at every single place they take me to. Back to the average of your five closest friends. I'm like, oh. So, so this is, like, kind of forcing me to examine my life. But I'm, I'm at this point, I'm, I'm still not ready to change. And so I ended up spending seven days in jail before I finally get myself out. I was pissed. My friends didn't get me out so we could party hard for my 20th birthday, right? Mm-hmm. And at this point, I've, I've, all my good favors, the kids that I used to sell drugs to in Naples, like they're starting to run out and I'm starting to get a really bad name in, in town. Mm-hmm. Just like can't sleep on anyone's couches anymore. So I'm like, what am I going to do? So I had a buddy who was going to college in Macon, Georgia. So I'm like, okay, let me take a Greyhound bus. I'll go spend a couple days with him, kind of figure out my next move and go from there. And during the bus ride, I managed to flush my cell phone down the toilet. You, you managed to flush your cell phone down the toilet? Yes. I was, <laughs> I, I was... I was using a magazine to roll a blunt and like my, my phone was sitting on my leg and it just like fell in the toilet and I went to grab it and it was one of those automatic sensors. So when I oh. moved it, flushed. <laughs> oh God, I'm, so, I'm sorry for laughing, but it's just too No, fun. it's good. It's, it's oh, a funny God. story. And so, funny. <laughs> so I go smoke this blunt and next thing I get, I'm walking back into the Greyhound to get on this Greyhound from Orlando to Atlanta and a cop starts her not harassing me but like asking me questions what are you doing in the woods and i smell like weed and then mm. he proceeds to search me which oh. i have literally daniel this golf ball or not golf ball baseball sized glass jar in my pocket as he's <laughs> patting me down and searching me oh no with with pot and like oh. somehow i managed to him not see this thing in oh. my front pocket that's literally like a baseball in my jean pocket. oh my goodness and i and i take out uh like a ziploc bag and there was a blunt roach and he's like oh is this what you're smoking so his attention goes there yeah good and he move. goes you better get on the next greyhound bus and i better never see you again or you're going to jail I'm like okay mm. wow well, close cool um yeah, so that was, that was a really close call. And and then so I get to Macon, Georgia. I don't have a phone. I'm not really thinking clearly. I'm just kind of going. And I don't even have the wherewithal. My In my mind, I need to find the college campus, and then someone will be able to find that. But I'm so stubborn and hard will. I don't ask anyone where the college is. <laughs> I literally spend eight hours just walking around Macon, Georgia, trying to find the college. <laughs> instead of and and i was i was looking for for phones to call my buddy but it wasn't a local number so Mm. i thought i'd remember it but i didn't and it's it becomes midnight it's really late it's turns to friday june 13th and i'm just walking aimlessly and i find a group of young men i'm finally willing to ask for help and that's when i proceeded to get jumped and a brick repeatedly smashed into the back of my head and so when he drops the brick, he starts picking me up and, and throwing me, trying to throw me on my head to break my neck and kill me. Whoa, and why? During these, Hold on, what, why? That's random. Like, why would someone just randomly want to kill you? I, they, they, were, they were robbing me, right? And Oh, they were stealing. They were trying to rob you for... Yeah. Okay. And, and so he's like picking me up and throwing me on the cement to try to break my neck. And I'm embracing myself with my left hand, and my body's just like smacking on the pavement like a fish. 
and wow one of these throws i get i get knocked unconscious and and i make the decision when i'm i i know if i remain unconscious i'm going to be dead like i know these these guys are going to kill me mm-hmm. and i'm like it, it wasn't even a decision i'm like i can't i can't die right here i can't get knocked unconscious and i i might have been knocked unconscious for a second and i came back and he's like do you have any money now i had I think $150 in my back pocket and I throw it. He runs for the money. I'm able to run off. I've been wearing flip flops. I'm now near barefoot, lost my backpack and Jeez. just like run into some abandoned houses and just really start running. And I go to the police. I find a police station. Now here's this, this really scrawny kid with blood pouring down his head. And these cops are like, yeah, we don't believe this. Nobody would be stupid enough to be in that neighborhood at this time. Oh my I'm God. like, well, you want me to take you back to the, the scene of the crime? And they're like, yep. So we go back there. We find one of my flip-flops. And they're like, okay, now no, we believe you. Now you got to go to the hospital. <laughs> okay. And I spent that night in the hospital, 12 stitches in the back of the head, broken wrist. Mm-hmm. Get out of the hospital. Of course, they give you prescription drugs. What more oh. could a drug addict ask? Oh, God. And proceed to spend the next couple days using painkillers and alcohol and a little bit of pot so i go back to florida now i've been gone for i think at this point like almost two almost three weeks and now my parents don't know and i'm kind of living on the streets and not kind of i am living on the streets, sleeping on the beach and during that time on the beach i was like okay i can really continue down this path which will end me back in jail or dead which ultimately it just almost happened in the last two weeks or I can ask for help. And I, I remember walking the beach, probably seven miles, just walking home and, and getting home and, and ringing the doorbell. Now my parents are ecstatic that I'm still alive and wow. they've kind of known where I've been, but not, not really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and take me in and they're like, okay, this is what you have to do for recovery. And I'm like, yeah, I can't do this. I can't take it. And uh, I had a buddy, so I, I ended up renting his room and, and spent the next two months just at his house, which was away from um, Naples and my friends and all that, and, and just started to put my life back together. Okay, so you skipped and, a very important part. Where, where the hell is the psych ward? <laughs> so so here here we go. So, the, so this is where the psych ward comes into play. So I'm now sober. I'm making good choices i moved back in with my parents and mm-hmm. you know after a month i this thought goes through my head like oh let me smoke pot it's not that big of a deal <laughs> right uh, and then i proceed to trash my bedroom after getting stoned and it was a very interesting experience and, and my parents thought i'd been my mom thought i'd been using drugs so she doesn't really know what to do and calls the cops now in florida there's this thing called the baker act where they have a 72-hour medical hold that they think you're unsafe for yourself or someone else. They basically right. think you're going to kill kill yourself or kill someone else. Mm-hmm. And I get Baker-acted. Baker now they acted. proceed to keep me for two weeks on a 72-hour medical uh, hold. Mm-hmm. So I have a psychiatrist in, in charge of you, and that was a, a rather interesting, long experience. And mm-hmm. get out after two weeks... They're labeling me bipolar, schizophrenic, manic, depressed. A month goes by. I'm not taking. Sorry, can you say that again, Gordy? They labeled you schizophrenic, bipolar, bipolar, schizophrenic, schizophrenic, and manic depressed. That's that's pretty serious. I mean, 
Oh yeah, it's really serious stuff. And the the fascinating part is they literally talked to me for 15 minutes and labeled me these things. Jeez. And so I'm 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 being labeled these. I it was an interesting court process to to get out. It was basically two weeks before I saw a judge on the 72 hour medical hold, and I get out. I'm I'm not taking the medication that they prescribed. Remember, I was addicted to ecstasy, and I take this medication, and it's right. one of the worst experiences <clears throat> of my life. I, mm-hmm. I I loathe this medication that they're prescribing right. me so quickly too, and. <laughs> You know, I'm doing pretty well for a month, living with my parents, dating this girl, like, not necessarily, like, super productive in life, but was getting by. And then, you know, the thought goes through my head, yeah, I'd like to get stoned again. I think I'd find, <laughs> found some pot in, like, an sh- old pair of shorts that I didn't know I had. Goodness. And um, the next, well, maybe not the next, but I go for a walk and... Then I find this van, and it reminded me of an exact same van on a mushroom trip the night before prom. And I'm like looking through this van in this parking lot that just happens to be open with so much stuff in this van, and I'm throwing it at this light. And then I proceed to jump on top of the van, and that's when the police rolled up. As I'm standing on this van, the police roll up to this parking lot. Okay. Yeah, that that didn't go for very well. And they're like, well, you've just been in the psych ward a month ago. You're labeled bipolar schizophrenic, and now you're on top of a van. <laughs> and, and, and the van was not down by the river. So <laughs> um, they locked me in the psych ward again. Now, a month earlier, I'd been in the psych ward. I know how the floor operates. And one night, the cleaning cart comes on, and I go, oh, here's my opportunity. Wait, this so sounds like this sounds card. like Shawshank Redemption here. <laughs> yeah. So in on the psych ward that I was staying, there was a, a quadruple locked door that the only way that they opened was a video camera looking down, and then the nurses in the nurses station would press a button and the door opens. Okay. So in this lobby, it was we'll say ten square feet. It's not very big, but there's two doors on the side of it, and so I knew if I hid behind one of the doors, I would hear the beep for them to open the main door when they push the cleaning cart i would be able to slip out between the cleaning cart and the door frame okay so i was hiding behind one of the doors just waiting to hear this buzz and when i heard the buzz i slipped out both the doors and i and i bolted for the stairs now this was up on the seventh floor i don't think i hit like once i was like just jumping down like flights of stairs (laughs) and the and the nurse is chasing after me Uh i remember on the front floor running towards the front door he's like you better not run out that door or we're going <laughs> to da da So I'm like, yeah, I don't really care. And <laughs> so I run out the front door and I have this hospital gown on. So I strip this hospital gown on because that's not very good for running in. Right. And I'm wearing a, a pair of white boxers. <laughs> now, the story is naked man escapes the psych ward. <laughs> oh, my God. That's hilarious. And, and in my mind, I was like, I just got to run to the beach and then I can run unobtrusive. Uh, tr- like a clear path all the way back to my house. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to run to my house and it's going to be no big deal. So I'm jumping over fences. I'm climbing trees. I end up getting to the beach and I get to the beach and there's a party and they're like, hey, come join us. I'm like, no, I got to go. <laughs> and so I run down the beach and it was a full moon and I see like a glare on water. I'm like, wait, this is supposed to be sand. And there was a canal that 
cuts the beach up. And I'm like, oh, well, I guess I got to swim out through this canal. So I swim through this canal and there's rocks on the far side. I've run for five minutes, for five miles nonstop. And I'm in the rocks catching my breath. And I see this helicopter going back and forth on the beach with this big spotlight. In my mind, I'm like, <laughs> what's a helicopter doing on the beach? That's kind of <laughs> odd. And it's, it's literally 50 yards away from me, just on the other side of this canal. And I'm like, huh, that helicopter, and it flies off, and I start running again. And I run down my street. There was a police station off of my street. So I go, I can't run down this street. Mm-hmm. I run down the next street. And my dad's best friend lived on that street. And and he's outside smoking a cigarette. I'm like, hey, Chris. He's like, who is this? And here's this guy in his, in his boxers, shows up at his front door. And he goes, oh, Gordy, how's it going? Like, you want a beer and a cigarette? I'm like, sure. Oh my he gets goodness. me some clothes. And he goes, oh, you can spend the night here. No big deal. So I'm like, cool. So I have another beer. And I'm in his kitchen and his kitchen have cabinets that drop down and you can see to the front door, but only kind of from the waist down. And next thing I know, I'm washing my hands and these two massive police officers walk in the door. Oh, boy. And my initial thought is, shit, I'm, I'm caught. I can't at this point, I can't really run out the back door. Mm-hmm. And they put me in handcuffs, walk me out the door. There's at least 20 cops. There's every siren, every uh, flashing light you've ever seen. My dad's standing there. Oh, and goodness. I remember, I just remember putting me in the back of this cop car and, and taking off. And the next thing I remember is waking up strapped to a hospital bed. So I want to stop this and freeze this frame for a minute because I honestly, Gordy, I'm listening to your story and I'm thinking you're talking about somebody else because the person that I've, you know, had a conversation with before the show and I've seen you and you look like a very normal guy and I've, I've researched you. I've seen the incredible stuff that you've done. You're inspiring, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. And I'm just like in my head saying, how does this guy go from from this to to that like it does it's like night and day like it doesn't make sense you're like you're freaking strapped to a hospital like to to a a a psychiatric bed after being checked like i I doesn't i don't understand like what what happened yeah so a little bit of hard work (laughs) no don't give me that you won't get away with that on my show uh, it's uh (laughs) so so you in in my nice rap, you said I escaped five psych words. I only escaped one, but I ended up going in and out of five psych words. So mm-hmm, you know, okay. this time what they I ended up spending a month in this psych ward, and they were labeling me bipolar, schizophrenic, manic, depressed. They were literally giving me three meals a day and antipsychotic medication, and locking us in a box for thirty days, and wondering why everyone was acting weird. You know, and it it was a very inhumane setting mm-hmm. you know and, and most of these people had, had just tried to commit suicide and done these extreme things and you know for for me looking back on it now i had done brain damage with with my drugs my we i ended up having my neurotransmitters tested which is like my serotonin which affects your mood my dopamine and norepinephrine and which affects your your fight or flight response mm-hmm. and your feel-good responses and of course, they were completely skewed. My serotonin was half the level it should have been, so I should have been depressed in my fight or flight. Like they were twice the level they should have been. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and, and once we, I ended up going to a treatment center in California that rebalanced my brain chemistry. They ended up doing a food allergy test and I was highly allergic to gluten, dairy, and eggs. Wow. None of the psychiatrists were like, oh, it's maybe a little bit of diet. They're just mm -hmm. like, you're crazy. You have to take these pills. You're going to be on them for the rest of your life. You're nuts. And, <laughs> you know, luckily my parents didn't believe this and I didn't believe this. And, you know, we, we sought a different treatment. And during this time, you know, I just really started to focus on myself. And, and to go back to what you were talking about earlier of a addicts looking for that next high, I would say my definition of now in, in terms of dopamine and all these, what, what they're searching for is addict, the question we shouldn't be asking, the question we're asking is why the addiction, but the question we should be asking is why the pain? Because every single human has some level of pain and you know, drug addicts where I admire them is they have this pain, they don't know how to deal with it, so they turn to their drugs to change their inner state. And whether that's going to social media or pornography or whatever that looks like, mm -hmm. as humans, we really just don't know how to deal with the pain and emotions where we turn to these these things outside of ourselves to, to self-soothe. Right. So how do you and, stop and that, that pattern? Because you obviously, what you're describing is a pattern. And what, what's really interesting is that, you know, humans, we're, we're so prone to, to judge. We're so easy to judge. So, you know, you happen to have had, your chosen drug of choice happened to be drugs, whether it was, you know, marijuana, cocaine, you know, whatever it is. But like I was saying before, I, I, I believe that everybody essentially... Um, is addicted to something that there is some form of escape movies you know social media money you know clothes um power, you, agree, power yeah. like you name it right so everybody's a running and chasing and escaping you know and and everybody's just now happens to be that if you're a shopaholic it, you're not you're not really hurting anybody else right and you happen to you know as a drug abuser you you know it's it's something less tolerated for obvious reasons, but the principle is the same. There's a pattern that you just can't seem to interrupt. You can't seem to stop it. And like you said throughout your whole story is that you became clean for a month, things were going well, and then suddenly you had this thought in your head, which is, ah, what's another hit? What's another? And that's the, that's the issue right there is how do you stop the pattern? So what did you do to just yeah. kind of, you know? So... For me, it just like I, I made a decision, right? And in my training and my coaching now is rock bottom is the moment that you decide to make a change. And for me, yeah, my rock bottom. Gordy, I, I got to stop you. I'm sorry, but you've made decisions many times. Sure. Why was this one different? And and so that one was different. Like I, I knew if I were to have a life and, and to survive, I had to change, right? So I think... So I made that decision, like I made the decision I'm not gonna use drugs. Like that was that was my decision and in in all honesty, I've used drugs a couple times since then. But for me, like alcohol wasn't a big deal. So I'm like, oh, I'm gonna use alcohol. It's it's not that that big of a deal. And mm -hmm. after I got out of rehab, I was you know, for the first year I was I was drinking, but I would drink once a month and I would, you know, kind of not necessarily lose control, but I would get a little bit more 
drunk than I normally would. And the next day I'd, I'd feel crappy and, you know, and I kind of go, well, what would happen if I went a whole year without dr- drinking? Like how good would I feel? And for me, it was a challenge, right? Like as, as entrepreneurs, we like a good challenge. And I go, let me see if I could go one year with, with no drugs or alcohol. Mm-hmm. I'd already, well, I'd really decided not to use drugs. So a year without alcohol. And, and during that, I proceeded to move back to Colorado where everything had gone wrong in college. And I was like, I want to resist temptation. I want to be able to go back where it all went wrong, resist temptation. And I know then I can go anywhere in the world. And mm-hmm. so I made that one decision. And that one decision is what's radically transformed my life. It's now last month was seven years clean and sober, wow. no alcohol, no drinks, no nothing. Um, and so that was, so to expand is, is making that one decision. And then from there creating a life for, for me, it's, it's developing in that personal development, right? It's, it's working on myself harder than I work on anything else. And even to this day, I still spend two hours a day working on myself Mm -hmm. and, and making decisions to, you know, read, to meditate, to exercise, to have mentors, to surround myself with amazing people. And, and that's where, where everything transformed. So, you know, like making that first decision and then creating systems in place that, you know, we'll use, if you, if you want to look at porn, like whether it's putting a block on your computer or if I'm having this urge, I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to call someone. And they literally say when you have an urge, mm-hmm. if, if you wait three minutes, that urge will go away. So you basically have to white knuckle it for three minutes. And in terms of addiction, mm-hmm. we'll say like if you're looking three times a day and then the next day you're only looking twice and to kind of taper yourself down because mm-hmm. and this and an addiction, it isn't easy to change, but you have to have that that mindset and you know whether it's w- making a statement publicly or or finding different yeah, treatments w- and options i want to push a little bit more just because i feel like for our listeners and just to make this really super relevant as well i feel like a lot of people um they really want to do something and so whether it's stop taking drugs or stop looking at porn or you know But it could also be, I want to do, I want to start a podcast show. I want to start my own business. You know, I want to lose X amount of weight, right? Everybody's got their goal that they want to do. And they keep, I want to write a book, but they keep pushing it off and pushing it off. And I kind of, I want to use sort of your story as a case study because your your pattern was that you kept saying, I'm going to stop now because now is enough. Like you were getting pummeled with a brick over your head. You were losing consciousness. And then in that moment, you said, that's it, enough. I've got to do something. And yet the story continued. You didn't stop. It wasn't over. You you went for more, right? And the psychiatric ward, the first one you went to, that could have been your rock bottom, but it wasn't, right? You went to five. Sure. So, so like, like what I really want to know, and, and for my listeners here who have made so many decisions, I'm going to finally publish that book. This is it. This, this month I'm going to start writing. And then they don't, right? So how do we make a decision that we actually stick with and we just do it? Like that's what I really want to try and reverse sure. engineer. 
Okay, so now I've kind of reverse engineered my life over the last, we'll say, eight years, and in the reason why I've accomplished what I have accomplished, and the what I like to teach is is micro shifts, right? So these are small changes that you can make on a daily basis that will radically change your life. And because if you look at, we'll use the example of writing a book. If you look at writing a book, you think, oh my gosh, I have to write 40,000 words. This is so insurmountable. Mm -hmm. But if you, if you backstep and say, I only need to write 100 words a day for the next 40 days, that's, I did my math right. Like, if you write a hundred <laughs> words a day for the don't next ask me. Four, uh, I don't know. I, what, whatever what, the math is, what, I, I whatever failed, it is, I failed right? in like, math. Right. And and in a in a in a small amount of time, mm -hmm. you can you can write this book. And yep. I recently was working, and so the added layer on top of that is an accountability partner to hold you accountable. Mm -hmm. And one of I, I did a tr an Ironman last year and really dove into that. And one of the guys in, in the Ironman world goes, hey, I'd really like to work to write my book. Like, And he interviewed me on how I did it. And I go, okay, you want to write a book? Like, Write 30 minutes to an hour every single day. Shoot me an email that you did it, whether you did it or not, every single day. Well, guess who finished his book within three months, had a manuscript. Mm -hmm. Right, because he was emailing me every single day. He was working on it thirty minutes. He wasn't working on it three hours a day, and then then not. So, in terms of for the listeners, is what can you do today for fifteen minutes towards your goal, and then tomorrow, and then the next day, and then the next day, and then the next day, and 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 in my life, that's what's what's changed my life. So if we look small. at last year doing an Ironman, I was mm -hmm. training for an hour to two hours every single day. Right. So, so, so the two things you mentioned there was one is cut it, chop it up into little bits so it doesn't look so big. And two is have an accountability partner. Um, I actually like to use the public as an accountability partner. So, for example, if I know if I want to write a book, I'll actually go on Facebook and basically tell everybody, hey guys, I'm going to be publishing a book in the next 90 days. And if you want to pre-order the book, you can go over here. And now like people are actually pre-ordering it. So I've really got to produce the damn book. Um, so that's really pushing myself and, and that's how I do it. And, you know, I know not everybody's comfortable doing things like that, but hey, sometimes you got to get yeah, out of your comfort if, zone. You know? If you want to change, you got to do something uncomfortable, right? Yeah. Like the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting mm -hmm. a different result. Yeah. And I'll, I'll give you another example as well. Just like, you know, I, I was waking up late. And when I say late, I don't know, it, it wasn't crazy late. Like it was more like around 8, 8.30 in the morning. Uh, but for me, that was too late because my kids, they wake up at around 7 and they're out of the house at about 7.45. And for me, I just couldn't stand seeing my kids watch their father sleeping while they left for school. You know, it's just not... It's just not a role model, like to have your father sleeping while you're while you're you know leaving the house. And so I wanted to make sure that I was up and awake, like when the when my when my kids were up and awake. And so I basically uh, pay somebody to uh, to wake me up, uh, and and I have to meet with them. And then we actually do some meditation and we do some spiritual uh, learning as well for about forty five minutes in the morning, and so in the park. It's beautiful. So now I wake up. 
at around seven o'clock and uh, I go to the park at 7.30 and I'm doing meditation and, and, and we're learning, you know, it, it, it's, it's incredible. And I, I pay this guy um, every single day. And the reason why I pay him is because I know that if I wake up late, I basically pay him for nothing. And let me tell you, as a businessman, <laughs> I, I don't like paying for stuff that I don't get any benefit out of it. So, you know, just getting creative. No, it's, I think it's huge. I, I recently, one of my friends has, has talked about losing weight for the three years that I've known her. And I was like, okay, you want to lose some weight this month? Well, I get, she had 90 days and the, the wager was if she doesn't lose the 10 pounds, she's going to pay a thousand dollars to the, uh, uh, politician party that she doesn't like. <laughs> that's that's Guess terrible. Guess who lost ten pounds? Yeah, she's like, I am not paying them a thousand dollars, and that was the oh. motivation, right? And so, this yeah. goes back to the accountability or paying someone. I I think coaches are are, are brilliant because you're paying someone to hold you accountable, or mm-hmm. you make a public statement like this. You got to put something on the line because if, if if we don't put something on the line, like you know, in in terms of me for my business, like I I recently told a friend i'm like okay if i don't do my my nine tasks or 15 tasks this week i'm gonna run another marathon with you now when i got done with my endurance sports i'm like i'm retired i'm done it's not (laughs) something i want to keep doing for the rest of my life (laughs) like i don't have to be jack daly and run a marathon in every state (laughs) um you know and and so for me that's motivation guess who's doing his 15 tasks this week wow that's incredible. And by the way, another thing that you brought out, which is important. So, so again, we said that breaking it down into small chunks, having an accountability partner, and also setting a, a, a time limit. Like you keep saying 90 days, 60 days, or a fixed amount. And that's also really important. Like, yeah, okay, I'm going to write the book, but okay, but set a date, like set a deadline. Because when you have a deadline, you you know, you feel that pressure and, and you're more likely to get it done, whereas you could just keep pushing it off and pushing it off. Um, any other, um, you know, tips that, that could help people to actually, you know, when they make a decision to actually go and, uh, and make it happen, besides for those four that we just mentioned? Well, and I guess what, what, I, what I'm a, a big fan of as well is tracking time. Right. So you want to add something in your life. What are you willing to take out of your life? And it might be you watch that Netflix series every single day for (laughs) two hours. And I and so so for me, I made two decisions in my life. And and I'm going to argue at the end of my life, these will be two of the best decisions I ever made. Number Mm -hmm. one, no games on my cell phone. Oh, such a great one. I also have that. No games on my cell phone. Yeah. And number two is I don't own cable. I don't <laughs> even I don't I don't have Netflix. I don't I don't watch TV. I maybe once a month, more like once a quarter, I'll watch a movie. Mm-hmm. Like, but those those two things, I'm on the low end, gaining an hour a day. Right. Yeah. On the low end, right? Yeah. And so with that time. You can spend it reading or you can spend it meditating or exercising or whatever that that looks like. And so, you know, for, for you, your motivation, okay, I want to see my kids, right? Like <laughs> that was the motivation. And 
and and that's so important why I love love Simon Sinek's work is go to your why, right? Mm -hmm. Like find out why you want to change this. If it's fitness, like do you want to hang out with your grandkids and be able to do stuff with them at 70, 80 years old? Mm -hmm. That might be, and and this is where where I look at the human body and brain. I only get one, and when I was younger, I, I really destroyed my brain, right? So now I'm making up for being stupid then in my body, right? So how can I treat my body that is going to be, I plan on living to 125 and, you know, maybe we'll live to 1,025 the way Mm -hmm. technology is going. (laughs) But like taking care of that and, and eating healthy and exercising and working on the mind is it allows you to show up and this is now I get to travel the world and work with high performing parents to, to help them empower their kids. It's incredible. And, and, and and one of the biggest things that, that we, we preach is as a parent, you have to take care of yourself because I guarantee Daniel, this, this 45 minutes he spent every single morning allows you to be like a 10 times better father. No, for sure. No, a hundred percent. By the way, I love the fact that on your website that I was looking at your testimonials, right? You've got like a bunch of testimonials of people that you've changed their lives and it, it's it's really inspiring. But but one of them really stood out, right? It says, You are my new role model. And then the name <laughs> next to the name next to it says police officer. And I just cracked up because that's so funny. Like you actually have a police officer that now sees you as their new role model. It's it's a, you've done a full 360 it's incredible full 180 actually um yeah i like to like because your story is incredibly inspiring um but i feel like inspiration you know without actually taking action is is it's it's a wasted energy and so what i like to do on my show when i can is to make it really practical and i like to challenge the listeners and in fact i also like to challenge my guests so my question is, Gordy, is, is what, you, what is one thing that you've been putting off that you haven't done? That's a good question. The, for me, what's coming up right now is a second book. Okay. I've, I've really pivoted the business over the last couple of years and rebranded not rebranded created a new company called rich legacy um mm-hmm. that you know we we get to speak to entrepreneurs organization young presidents organization and like i was telling you before just got back from speaking in three countries in the middle east which was an amazing experience totally blew mm-hmm. my mind um and so i think to take that business to the next level is really creating a good solid book mm-hmm. for to get a little bit more publicity and to really take that to the next level. So brilliant. When's it coming out? Uh, it will be out, uh, December of 2017. Wow. Nice. So, so you're going to, that's, so how are you going to be held accountable for that? Are you going to, well, now that I've said it to your, your, your world (laughs) in the podcast realm, like, no, I, uh, yeah, I need to. I need to, to do it and dive in and fully. It's an interesting process, but you know, doing it. But okay, so maybe I'll not, just, maybe I'll what? just call up Tucker at Book in a Box for <laughs> another check. That's a good idea. And what's the uh, December? What? What's the date? December. 
I don't, I'm not looking at my calendar. I want to say December 7th, so okay. then we can sell it for Christmas. That sounds good. December 7th. And what's the one political or, or organization that you absolutely loathe? <laughs> mm, oh, man. Using, using Robert uh, Cialdini's influence on me. i got to ruin that. One organization... I want to say something to do with 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 pot research, and and this is where I think there's a fine Ooh. line between legalization okay. and decriminalization. That's a that's a whole different topic. So let me let me find like an organization that's like really strong for okay for so, marijuana laws. So you'll have you'll have that uh, organization, and thousand uh, dollars is good yeah, amount. Thousand yeah. bucks. Yeah, thousand bucks. Okay, cool. So, so those listening, um, we're going to hold Gordy accountable. So on December seventh, if we don't see his book up on Amazon, um, we should we should basically call him out on it. Um, Not call it out, like. Yeah, no, I'm saying uh, no. You know what? Let's make this even more exciting. Forget, do you know what? Here, let's do this. Thousand bucks to your um, to to the the charity that you loathe, but also um, you need to give. Um, hmm. Yeah, you need to give uh, 20 bucks, or let's do a 50. 50 bucks for every single person that calls you out. If the book isn't released, you got to actually PayPal them 50 bucks. So everybody listening to this, you guys could earn... Sorry, Gordy. You guys can can have 50 bucks. Um, All you got to do is on December 7th, if you don't see Gordy's book out on Amazon, uh, you just uh, send him an email. Ping us, yeah. And PayPal, uh, and he'll PayPal you uh, fifty bucks. What's the uh, best email to reach reach you, Gordy? The best email is <laughs> gbufton g b u f t o n at richlegacy.com. r i c h l e g a c y dot com or cool. at or yeah dot com. Jesus, can I say my own email? <laughs> gbufton well, at richlegacy.com. <laughs> That's well, that will be in the show I'll notes. Make sure it doesn't, I'll make sure it doesn't doesn't go to spam. <clears throat> yeah. The, no, the, I'm, the, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, thanks for lighting a fire. And, you know, I, the, your listeners better, you, I better come back on the show to, you know, or, or you get me on other podcasts so I can really pump this book and, absolutely. you know, and, 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 so I can make back. Well, I won't well, have to make back the, the thousand bucks and $50. Well, you know, I have no, a company. Thanks, Daniel. You, you, I appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, you know, I've got a company called Get Featured that uh, that gets you on podcast shows, so we could definitely talk about that. Um, I very do. cool. So, well, to flip this on, on you and oh, no, your I listeners. Knew, knew this was going to happen. Jeez. Here we go. <laughs> well, you know, you, 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 we play big ball. you got to play. So in terms of the <laughs> listeners, the challenge that I have for you is what's what's 15 minutes a day? What can you commit to doing for 15 minutes a day? Because if you don't have 15 minutes a day, you don't All have right. a life. Okay. That, okay. And I would love send me an email or comment or comment in your on on the podcast what's one thing you're committed to doing for 15 minutes a day mm-hmm. and just sticking to it and find an accountability partner i'm i will volunteer myself like you can you can send me an email every day whether you do it or not i i don't have to respond but um, <laughs> if i i'm i'm happy to uh 
play a, a little role in your accountability. I, uh, from my experience, it really helps if if someone's um, defining accountability that's that's in the same boat as you. That's mm-hmm. that's trying to trying to work towards you know and and yeah. and this like I literally did I, on my flight back from the Middle East. I'm like I want to meditate more so there's someone on the plane that that wants to meditate more and i'm like okay you can email me every single day or message me that you meditated or not and i'm like you know what i need to step up my meditation game as well so i'm emailing her every single day that whether i meditated or not and i bought talking about investments i bought a muse which is a 200 dollars headband to track my meditations wow nice. uh, since i've got it i've done you know, and it's two hundred dollars. Not a massive investment, but I know I'm going to meditate more because of this, right? And in 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 over the next couple of years, I'm sure the the investment will pay off tenfold, right? So back to your your listeners, like fifteen minutes a day, like it's not a, a massive amount of time. And there's another, I know you you're you're <laughs> preaching for me to get Sarah Blakely on your on your podcast. I'll see what I can do. But there's an amazing fitness group that her husband runs which is Jesse Itzler's We Do Hard Stuff, I think is what it's called on Facebook, or Ping Me, or I'll send mm-hmm. you in the show notes, which it's a fitness group that there's over 6,000 members, and we do a fitness challenge every month. Cool. Right? So for for this month, we're doing, he's donating, I believe 30,000 is getting donated to Pencil, uh, Pencil, like they build schools. And yeah. so everyone that accomplishes the goal of so there's different levels and i always do the gold level which is 15 days of doing a word and it's usually you'll do like 50 burpees and different exercises for each letter in the word and Hmm. he donates money you do the work it's on the honor system he donates amazing community and you know positive change is happening so um, i love it i guess that's another challenge for you guys Okay, so cool. So, and and by the way, if it's easier for people to to want to be accountable in the Facebook group, they can go to uh, my Facebook group, which is Can I Pick Your Brain. So just go into Facebook, type in Can I Pick Your Brain. You'll see the group. Uh, if you're not in the group already, then get yourself into the group. And what we'll do is when I publish this episode, I'll also publish a post called the Accountability Post, and then we could start a thread there. And if you guys want to become accountable through that. You can do that as well. Um, all the resources and links that we discussed here, you can go to danielgeffen.com forward slash 87. That's danielgeffen.com forward slash 87. Gordy, where can they get your book? Because you've already got one book out. Where can they get that? Amazon is okay. uh, where you can get Eluding Reality, which is my memoir about all the fun stuff we talked about in Incredible. vivid detail. And the next book, shoot me an email and I'll get you on the list for for the next book, which will be geared towards high-performing parents on how to empower their kids and really create an amazing amazing environment to to mentor and to curate amazing kids, which are going to change the planet. And that will be launched on December 7th. Gordy, This has been absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for letting me pick your brain. And thank you to all my fellow brain pickers. I'm looking forward to the day when I'll be picking your brain. You've been listening to the Can I Pick Your Brain podcast. Inspiration without perspiration is like a tiger without teeth. So to put these ideas into action, head over to danielgeffen.com.